Peace. 
picking me up okay can you hear me yes okay I hope the people online can hear me as well and uh, thank you so much for leading us this morning you guys first time back in the theater after six months so I'm just gonna have a word of prayer and gonna hey, there you go say hello to the people online thank you guys for tuning in and yes, we are back, and thank you so much for joining in with us, and please leave us some comments, let us know how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds, and we would love to uh, interact with you at the same time, okay? So we're going to pray together. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that we have to be together. 
And Lord, I thank you for those online who are watching, those who will watch or listen to recordings later. I thank you for those who have come. And Lord, even though we have these masks on, uh, we're smiling on the inside, God. And, and we're, so, um, we're so thankful, Lord. You have taken us through uh, this journey in these last six months. And really, even today is the, the, the fourth year anniversary of this church. You've taken us through the first four years. And Lord, we are so grateful. And so we pray that today you would, um, you would be shown in a greater way. You would be revealed to people in a greater way. And people would discover you are faithful. And there's nothing, Lord, that is better than you. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Be ready at the end. We'll try and do something, okay? Now, I am the sound guy, the video guy, the pretty well everything guy here, so um, you'll bear with me for a second. We're going to put a little slide on the screen for the Mevo audience so I can get set up over here. And again, welcome everyone. When you are live, you can't take any breaks, right? So we're going to do this and get all set up over here. My Mevo Tech, how do we look? Are we picking up volume for the people at home? How does it sound out in the audience? You're okay? Can you hear me? If you can't hear me, frown. Ha, 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 that's a joke. Okay, good. Uh, let's see if we can mute some things here that need to be muted. There we go. Yeah, amazing what you can control with all of the gizmos and gadgets that you have these days. Uh, now I need my message here, so just hold on. We'll pull that up. There we go. Okay, we're doing a message series called Dear Churches, and I think uh, very fitting for the time that we're living in. Uh, if God were to say something to churches today, uh, living in a pandemic in the 21st century, what would he say? And uh, let, me let me get back here. Pardon the difficulty. I need to get on the screen with my message. Uh, always the first Sunday you get little glitches, eh? Let's see if we can get in there. There we go. The preacher needs a message to preach. You know, I, I used to have nightmares about um, opening the Bible looking for a passage of Scripture, and I can never find it. <laughs> and the audience is just like you, <laughs> waiting for the pastor to come through with a message, and I'm just reaching for it, and I look at the pages, and the pages are all blank. It's a recurring nightmare. Uh, that's coming true this morning. No, but uh, thank you, and this is week number four, okay? So you should tune in to our uh, Facebook or on uh, our website at citypointchurch.ca. If you go to Connect and Sermons, you're going to see all of them there. All the recordings and video are going there. Uh, the audio is going on to Podbean and Apple Podcasts, so you can catch up with us. And uh, hopefully this is going to work on your screen. Do you see that? Oh, good. And do you see that? Oh, good. Okay, we're cooking with gas here. So uh, those who are watching online, if you're here for the first time, those of you who are out in the, uh, the congregation here, if you're here for the very, very first time, uh, I want to follow up your visit with us. 
So what you can do is electronic. You don't have to touch any cards or any pieces of paper. Just take your smartphone and text the key phrase, reach the one, no spaces to 514-900-130. You can do that online as well. And I would be pleased to follow up your visit with us and send you something electronic in the mail that you're going to email that you're going to like. And of course, visit us on our website. As I just mentioned, uh, pray for our missionaries. I checked in with the Charbonneaus in Port-au-Prince uh, this week, and you can see it all on their Facebook page at Haiti Ministries. And there are riots that are taking place in Port-au-Prince because of the very tense situation with the government there. And there are gangs in the streets that are kind of taking over. And those gangs are uh, favored by the government. And so the people are protesting this. There's fires being set. There's protests all over the place in Port-au-Prince. We think it's bad in the United States. It's worse there. And so pray for our missionaries as they serve a church of some 1,000 uh, young people and children uh, today. They are back meeting at their location as well, okay? And pray for Don and Marie-José Mann. They are preparing to head uh, overseas in various nations, probably most of them Afri African nations with the whole leadership training program that they're going to be doing. And so they're waiting for the travel ban to be lifted. Pray as well for Don and uh, his ongoing uh, health, okay, and that God would strengthen him. And as I mentioned before we started the service today, it is going to be one here and three online, all right? So everybody say that so I can hear you. Are you online, you can say the same thing. One here, three online. All right, okay, I can't see your mouths, but you're, you're awake, so that's good, all right? Um, so one here, three online. So the next three are going to be streamed live from our Bible college. We'll have our band there. I'll be there. Uh, but apart from that, we won't be able to see you, all right? And then three weeks later, which is going to be October the 18th, we'll be right back here, okay? And so hopefully they will start to ease the restrictions and things will get better and we'll be able to do more and more and meet more and more frequently. You say, well, how do I give? Uh, the same way you have been for six months, okay? You can continue to give online. Uh, through our website, citypointchurch.ca. Click the Give button. Or uh, we have uh, Hoyin and Evo are here. Can you raise your hands? Okay, they have the magic machine. It, you don't have to uh, uh, press your uh, you know, password. You don't even have to touch the machine if you're using tap. And so you can give that way. They're all set for you over there as well. I know there are some cash and check givers uh, we will take care of you personally at the end. I see a few of you have shown up today, but we'll take care of you personally at the end. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. When you're in a pandemic, uh, the bills don't stop. And so thank you for keeping us running for the last six months. This is part four of Dear Churches. And this is out of the opening chapters of the book of Revelation, actually, in the Bible's New Testament, that probably most famous book, in the New Testament, the strangest book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And today, it, the message title is Wanted Overcomers. Wanted Overcomers, all right? Remember that Revelation is a fusion. It's a very bizarre book because it is a fusion of three different kinds of uh, literature. So what you have here is an apocalypse, uh, you have prophecy, and you have epistle. What are those three things? Well, the word apocalypse actually means to, to unveil something, to pull the curtain back on something. Uh, it doesn't mean the end of the world. We've kind of 
coined it that way and made, turned the word into you know, literature or something in culture that talks about the end of the world. What apocalypse means is to uneclipse. So you think of an eclipse of the sun or an eclipse of the moon. You've got a, you've got a, a body that's blocked there. It's being eclipsed. Well, when you apocalypse, you remove the blockage. It would be like if I pulled the curtain back on this movie theater screen and you could see what was behind it. Uh, that's what apocalypse means. We've kind of turned that into this idea of the end of the world. That's not what it originally meant. Um, and Revelation is a piece of apocalyptic literature. Again, that's a term that we use to talk about literature that speaks about the end of the world. There are many apocalypses from the time of John. Uh, who wrote the book of Revelation, but his is bizarre and unique in that he names himself. He doesn't name a pseudonym uh, who's writing like Moses or Elijah or something. He names himself, and he's just a common person. Uh, but also, the book says to not seal it up until the end, which all apocalyptic literature does except for this one. So it's very bizarre in that way. It's also prophetic in that it talks about things to come. And it's also an epistle in that it's a letter that is sent out to different places, different churches. And I'll give you a little map on the screen there. Those of you who are here, you see it nice and big. Those of you who are at home, well, hopefully you can still see it on your screen. And it looks like a little, a little Amazon courier route, okay? So you've got a letter to, uh, in, in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, it's addressed to Ephesus, Smyrna, in that order, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, like a little carrier who's doing his route for Amazon or a paper route or something. And so today I want to pick up on a theme that is mentioned to every single one of these churches um, about overcoming. And there's this phrase that repeats itself at the end of every single little section that Jesus has to say to these churches. And we see that it is Jesus who is speaking to them, and he's speaking to them post-resurrection. So this is after he had risen from the dead. He's very politically incorrect in the way that he's talking to these churches. It's very direct. The picture of Jesus is a Jesus of power, a Jesus of justice that is speaking here. And there's always this phrase that repeats itself at the end of each message that he has to each church, to him who overcomes. And he adds a, a blessing to each church there. And so we want to look at that theme uh, today, to him who overcomes. You had to overcome something to come here, you had to say, well, you know, I'm going to change my routine. I'm going to get out of my pajamas. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, get dressed and I'm going to get the kids in the car and I'm going to put the mask on and I'm going to deal with their hand washing. And, you know, I had to overcome that to come here. And those of you at home, OK, you, you still have to overcome something. You have to tune in. You have to make an intentional choice to stay plugged in, to stay connected. But there's a lot more that these folks had to overcome than any of that, even than a pandemic. These folks, this is first century. These are believers, the first set of believers from the first century church, the baby church. And they had a lot more obstacles to overcome. If it was just a pandemic, it would have been easy. But they have a lot more to overcome. And the reality is, 
when you pick apart these little messages that Jesus has for these churches, they actually relate to us today. If we want to be a follower of Christ, there are things that have to be overcome. And those things transcend time. They transcend the centuries. You have to overcome them. I have to overcome them. If you want to be a follower of Jesus. Now, being a Christian is not easy. That's what's implied in these messages that Jesus has for these churches. To him who overcomes. There must be something that must be overcome if you are going to continue to serve me. This is his message to them. And each church has something that needs to be overcome. And each one of us has something that needs to be overcome. And I'm going to go through a list. And you're probably going to run into every single one of these things that these churches experienced at least once in your lifetime if you really desire to serve Jesus. Say, what does that even mean to serve Jesus? Well, a, a Christian is someone who follows Christ. That's what a Christian is. It's not someone who goes to church. It's not someone who's been baptized. It's not someone who teaches Sunday school. It's not someone who gives a lot of money to the church. All of those things are good things, and people should do those things. But a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And when a person decides to follow Jesus, they begin to change. And they begin to see, uh-oh, there's opposition to this thing. Because the ethic that I'm following, the morality that I'm following, the life of Jesus that I'm following seems to run counter to what I see out in the broader culture. Jesus tells me to love my enemies and to pray for those who persecute me. That's really counter culture. Jesus tells me to love my neighbor as myself. That's really counterculture. We, we would prefer to just look after ourselves. So there's a, we discover if we decide to follow Jesus, there's things that need to be overcome. So I want to go through a little list here and uh, see if you relate to this. This is five obstacles that the Christ follower needs to overcome. Uh, number one is apathy. Apathy. Okay, we'll talk about persecution a little bit later, but apathy. And we see this in the church in Sardis. We see this in the church in Laodicea. If you're in the book of Revelation, you turn to Revelation chapter 3 um, and verse 1. It reads this way I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And he's speaking to a church that's become complacent and apathetic and their relationship with him doesn't really do anything in terms of the way that they behave. It's a sort of an I don't care attitude. It's apathy. They know what should be done. They're not doing it. I, you ha I know your deeds. I see what you have done. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Very strong criticism. But what he's going after there is apathy. And that can happen to us so easily, especially when the culture runs 
counter to what we're endeavoring to believe and to follow. You can get very apathetic. You can get very, well, I know what I should be doing, but I'm just a little too tired to do that. And the priorities start to change. And, you know, well, I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to read the Bible. I don't really need to seek after God. I'm just going to kind of go on cruise control and sort of let my life run. And what Jesus calls a person to do is what? Take up your blank and follow me. Those of you who are in the, in the live audience here, take up your what? Yeah, the cross and follow me. Those of you online, take up your cross and follow me. Wow, that's not cruise control. Okay, that's, th th there's a, an intentional thing that has to take place there. So you see this in this church in Sardis and verse five, he says, he who overcomes will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Some of you may know that this is the week of the Jewish New Year, what they call Rosh Hashanah. Any of you know that? Some of you work with, work with Jewish people or whatever, live in communities where there's Jewish people. And so this is the Jewish New Year. Um, well, what they believe is that at Rosh Hashanah, which was, I think, uh, Friday, started Friday night. I should know that, I guess, but started Friday night. And what they believe is that this is the time where God decides whether or not he's going to write your name as a faithful Jew in the book of life. And so what happens is he makes that decision on the day of the new year, Rosh Hashanah. Uh, but then over the next 10 days, which are called the days of awe, you have a chance to make wrong things right. You have a chance to ask for forgiveness from people who you may, may have sinned against. You have a chance to self-reflect. And effectively, you can, you can turn God's decision if his decision was a negative decision. So um, whatever is going to happen to you in the upcoming year, he decides it on Rosh Hashanah, but he seals it 10 days later on the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. And that's when it's sealed. And so in this period of time, Jewish people, you're going to see them being very pious. You're going to see them going to synagogue and praying. You're going to see them wearing black, uh, especially on Yom Kippur. They do not work. They will wear black. You know, if they cuss, they'll stop cussing that day. <laughs> if they've said, done or said something wrong to you, they're going to go to you and they're going to make it right because that's the day when God decides whether or not your name is going to continue to be inscribed in the book of life. And here you have Jesus saying, he who overcomes, and this is apathy he's talking about in context, is, is going to be dressed in white and, and his name will never be blotted out of the book of life. To that audience, that would have meant, wow, that's a real sense of security. That's a real sense of encouragement 
if we can just keep going and deal with this apathy. And Jesus tells them, remember therefore what you've received and, and heard and obey it and repent. And, and he's trying to challenge them to overcome their apathy. You see it with the church in Laodicea also. This is in Revelation uh, chapter 3 and verses 15 and uh, 16. It's a very, um, a very famous passage where uh, Jesus is talking about uh, uh, people being lukewarm. Uh, so um, verse 15, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I, I once knew a man who um, uh, he was coming out of a particular lifestyle and he was very, very angry at what the Bible said about it. And he, t he told me the story of when he took the Bible one time and he threw it up against the wall. He was so angry at God. Well, at least he was on one extreme. And here Jesus is saying, I would rather you be hot or cold, but you are lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. I'm about to, and the, it's very graphic language, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. I mean, this was an apathetic church. They were materialistic. They were apathetic. They didn't feel like they needed, uh, again, that passion of priority of Jesus anymore. And they had to overcome that. And to them, it says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Wow, that's pretty encouraging. Just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I mean, that. That to, to the people hearing that, that would have been such an encouragement to deal with their apathy because it's predicting that somehow in the grand scheme of things, in the end of time, these people would share in the authority that Jesus has. It would have motivated them. It would have encouraged them to deal with their apathy. And you and I, 2,000 years later, the same thing is true. If you really want to be a Christian, my friend, it's going to take work. It takes intention. You can't be apathetic and have a thriving relationship with God where you sense his voice, where you know the prompting of his spirit, where you're taking risks for him, where you're doing what you know you should do. Those times when you're out in your day and you sense this kind of prodding this direction, go and speak to this person, go and do this, go and help this person, stay away from this, that kind of close walk with God, you can't be apathetic and experience that. You have to deal with your apathy and your priority, which is the next challenge that we have to face. And we see this in another church. This is to the, uh, the Ephesians, uh, the first church on the list in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, after commending them about a few things and, and some of the things that they couldn't tolerate as a church, he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. We have uh, looked at this in the first week. Remember the height from which you have fallen and repent and do the things that you did at first. So there was a priority problem that these people had. Uh, Jesus said uh, to the people in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye 
second, third, fourth, the kingdom of God? What does he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness, and then all these things, speaking of the material things that the people wanted, will be added to you. That's a, that's a priority that Jesus is talking about. You've got to put God first. You've got to put me first and my kingdom first. And then you'll deal with those material things uh, that you're so worried about. And these people had a priority problem. You really want to be a Christian. You've got to put God first in your life. It means that he takes the throne of your life. It means you're not on the throne of your life. Your wife is not on the throne of your life. Your husband's not on the throne of your life. Your kids aren't on the throne of your life. You know, your job isn't, your house isn't, your vacations aren't, your hobbies aren't. God is. He's on the throne of your life. He sits on that throne, and he's the one who you put first. When you have that priority straight, you can experience the power of a relationship with Jesus and these people had lost it and he says to them uh, to him who overcomes verse 7 I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God excuse me that's going all the way back to the book of say it if you're if you're if you know where it is the tree of life the book of Genesis, yeah, you guys who are watching online, you probably got it. The book of Genesis, that's where that's mentioned. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't think that that tree is mythological or symbolic. He says, I will give the right to eat from that tree, which is in the paradise of God. What does that look like? How is that going to transpire? I'm not really sure, but to the people who were hearing this and the people who were reading this, it would have inspired them to overcome their lack of priority in their lives because that's where the whole problem started was in that garden and that tree of life and that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You go back to the book of Genesis and read it in Genesis chapter 3. It is the most... Uh, picked at the most criticized the most frustrating passage of scripture people have tried to to dismiss it reinterpret it get rid of it somehow uh, but there you have the beginning of the fall of humanity and that tree of life is barred because of sin and here he, he is saying to them you can have access to that tree you will have access to that tree of life whatever it really is, I don't even understand exactly what it is, which is in the paradise of God. For those people, they would have been so encouraged and so motivated to deal with their lack of priority. Third challenge that you are going to face if you want to be a Christian, and this one is quite graphic, but there's no other way to explain it. It's immorality immorality and here in context uh, if you look at the church in Thyatira it is actually immorality of a sexual nature curiously enough and this is what he says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 20 I have this against you you tolerate that woman she's got a name Jezebel 
Now, I have heard so much talk uh, in, in charismatic churches. Uh, when I say charismatic, churches that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we do. But I have heard so much talk, and I think in a, in a strange way, about Jezebel. And anytime anybody runs into a, into a, a, a person, you know, they say, well, this person's got the spirit of Jezebel. Have you ever heard that before? Well, I've heard it many times, okay? But look at the passage and look at the context. You tolerate that woman. Apparently, there was somebody in this, in this church, that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality. And there, back at that time, the eating of food sacrificed to idols. The people who were coming out of pagan backgrounds and worshiping of other gods and goddesses and all that, some of them had connections to uh, human sexuality and so on and connections to eating food that would be sacrificed to idols. And that's what he's criticizing here. But it's curious that he's talking specifically about immorality of a sexual nature. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. And this church was tolerant of it. And this woman was apparently leading people into an immoral lifestyle that way. In, in some shape or form, they were immoral in that way. My friends, do you know how many people who are, are Bible-believing Christians who are struggling in the area of sexual immorality? Do you know what the statistics say about evangelical men, men who attend church, who we call ourselves followers of Jesus? The statistics say that 50% of evangelical men struggle with pornography. That's a real statistic. There are pastors who struggle with pornography. I have met men, scores of men. I've met a few women who struggle in that particular area. What is curious to me in the 21st century church is that a lot of, of Bible-believing Christians scream and yell and get all upset and all frustrated and all angry and, you know, and they, they cry about LGBTQ and hold up signs and, you know, protest this and protest that. Look at what's happened. We've got same-sex marriage in our country and all of this. And yet some of those very same people are living immoral lifestyles. And yet they're picking at what they see in the grand culture. And that is what is happening here in this church in Thyatira. It's inside the church there. And you've got immorality going on there. And Jesus is very, very direct. And in fact, if you look at the whole Bible and you look at this subject, it is incredibly direct with this subject because it is so pervasive. The amount of men that I have sat down with and counseled in this area, I've met with men with affairs, pornography, you name it, I have seen it. And it is very, very prevalent in particular, in the lives of people who are endeavoring to serve Jesus. And today, with six months of a pandemic, there are marriages that are, that are coming under stress. There are relationships that are coming under stress. 
Uh, pornography is at a, uh, through the roof in terms of searches on the internet. Divorce is rising. Domestic violence is rising. Those things have connections to immorality. And so what does he say to this church in Thyatira in verse 26? To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery is quoted here. This is a passage out of the Psalms, a passage about Jesus bringing justice, about the Messiah bringing justice to the world. And somehow these people, if they could overcome their immorality, they would share in that uh, authority that Jesus will have here. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Again, a statement if you read the book of Revelation about authority. So what's going on here? These people are being challenged to deal with this very difficult to talk about area. And if they can overcome it, they will somehow at the end of time share with the authority, in the authority that Jesus has. Again, these people would have been so motivated and so inspired to deal with this problem. And I tell you today, in the 21st century church, and those of you who are watching online, this is a major, major challenge for people who are endeavoring to be Christian. We can, we can scream and yell about the broader culture and what's going on and, you know, oh, LGBTQ this and blah, blah. We can do all of that. We would do well to check our own selves. We would do well to look at our own lifestyle, our own thoughts, the things that we are watching online, the things that we are reading. We would do well to deal with what's in our own hearts before we start condemning what we see around us. Can I hear an ouch or an Amen. You've got masks on, so I don't know if you're smiling or frowning, okay? The people at home, all I see is a camera there, okay? Uh, next challenge, false teaching. False teaching. This is the church in Pergamum. And uh, this is what Jesus says to them, verses 14 and 15. I have a few things against you. Now, before you think that he's always negative, you need to read these chapters because he does start with positive usually, and then he goes into the negative. And over the next few weeks, we're going to keep looking uh, in detail at each one of these churches. We've covered Ephesus, we've covered Smyrna. Here you have Pergamum, and he says, I have a few things against you. You have people who hold to the teaching of Balaam. And uh, he, he taught Balak, we're told here by Jesus, to entice the Israelites to sin and, uh, and to commit, again, you see a mention of it here, sexual immorality. Now you have to dig to find the story that Jesus is referring to. It's in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. But he continues this theme. Uh, it's not just about uh, lifestyle, it's about teaching. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And he says, repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, an image of judgment. And you see this at the beginning in the opening of the book of Revelation. What's going on here is these people tolerated teaching in two ways. 
that led them astray. Uh, Balaam and whoever this Nicolaitan character was, we don't know too much about him, but some theorized that he was teaching people that they could do anything that they want. Uh, because, you know, God was a forgiving God and God's a loving God. And so you can do whatever you want and you can make whatever choices you want and everything's OK because God just loves you all the time. And there's no, you know, he, he doesn't deal with justice or anything like that. Some have theorized this. But when you think about teaching and when you think about false teaching, this has to be overcome even today. And people who want to serve Jesus, you really want to be a Christian, you really want Jesus to be first in your life, you've got to deal with some false teaching. Let me tell you two things that I have seen in about 30 years of, of observation. I've seen them in the North American church. I've seen them in the, in the short-term missions trips that I have taken to places like Cuba and Haiti. And uh, I went to Zambia in the, in the continent of Africa. And I've seen, it's, it's curious, you see them everywhere. You can see these all over the place on social media. I mean, there's so much, so much information out there and so easy to see. Let me give you two that I have seen. Uh, one of them I talk about often because it, it's such a problem, but that's what, uh, that's what I'll call the, the word faith movement. The word faith movement has caused more devastation, I think, than anything that I have ever seen uh, in people's lives who go to church. And it's this idea that God always wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You can command him. You can claim this scripture. You can pray this prayer. You can get healed. You can get wealthy. You can get rich. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. You don't have enough faith. There's a curse on your life. Uh, there's a problem in your past. There's this and this and this because if something's wrong, if you're a Christian, th this is what your life is supposed to be perfect all the time. All you have to do is quote this passage, this verse, this scripture, and God is obligated by your faith to give you what you want. I have seen more people's lives wrecked by that. I've seen them lose more money. I've seen them uh, cry more tears and be more disillusioned than I think anything else that I've ever seen. Um, uh, so that's one, and I, and I talk about that often, probably a little too often, but let me give you another one. And that is this idea that grace doesn't exist anymore. And by this I mean some of us are so consumed with legalism and, you know, to be a Christian, you must do this, 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 and this, and you must not do this, 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 and this. And uh, so you follow the rules, and that's what a Christian is. My friend, you cannot follow the rules. Uh, that's why we have the cross. That's why we have the grace of God and Jesus dying on the cross, because no matter what rule we try to follow, we always break it. And when we become legalistic, and when we start telling people, you have to do this and do this and behave this way and dress this way and don't dress this way and listen to this kind of music and not that kind of music and eat this kind of food and not that kind of food and behave this way and blah, 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 blah. And we don't let the power and the grace of God do his work in people's lives. We become legalists. We become just like the people that Jesus had issue with in the Gospels in the first century. Who? The ultra-religious people. The people who knew the Bible inside out and backwards. Those are the people who Jesus took issue with because they were legalists. And they made it impossible for people to follow God. Because for them, you follow God, you follow the rules. Let me say it to you clearly. 
You can't follow the rules. That's why you need God. God shows you through reading the rules that you can't follow the rules. The grace of God means God went to the cross for you. Jesus died on the cross for you because you can't follow the rules. That's grace. He gives you the free gift of salvation. He gives it to you because you are incapable of, of saving yourself. Your sin and my sin has blocked us from God eternally. We can't follow the rules. That's why we needed God to come down as one of us, the incarnation, God becoming man in the person of Jesus Christ and dying on the cross as a substitute, as an atonement for our sin. That opens the door for us to have a relationship with God. But when we throw that out and we say, no, 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 you've got to do this, 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 and this, what we're doing is we're becoming graceless. And this is so prevalent in people's lives. The, the amount of comments that I have heard from non-Christian people when they observe the church, the first thing that they say about the church, it starts with the letter J. Let's see if you know what it is. It's the first thing when they think about the church. You go to church, you believe the Bible, you're a Christian. Aren't you J? Judgmental. Judge, that is the first thing. And you will find that the first thing that your non-Christian friend or your non-Christian co-worker is going to say or your non-Christian fellow student is going to say, you Christians are so judgmental. That's because what they have experienced is a graceless Christianity. It is bad teaching. And when there is bad teaching, everything starts going awry. And this is what happened to the church in Pergamum, verse 17. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Overcomes what? Bad teaching, false teaching. You're believing things that are not true. I will give some of the hidden manna to him who overcomes i will give him some of the hidden manna i will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it it's symbolic language that he's using here hidden manna you know about the manna in the old testament that fell from the sky that, that this sort of bread of god that fed the people i will give some of the hidden manna people would have said what's that you know they would have been they would have been excited to search for whatever he's talking about a white stone speaking of being forgiven with a new name written on it this transformation that takes place in a person's life so this is the the reward for this church who will decide to overcome this kind of false teaching. And again, two examples, uh, Balaam and whoever this Nicolaitan character was. And the last obstacle, we talked about it a bit last week, is persecution. Uh, persecution, the church in Smyrna, uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. We saw this last week. And this is a church that Jesus has no criticisms for. He doesn't criticize this church in any way, but they still need to overcome because this was a church that was being persecuted. These people were being uh, uh, mistreated in various ways 
simply because of what they believe. My friend, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, there's going to come a time where you're going to pay the price for your faith. You say, Pastor, you're really making it hard to be a follower of Jesus. All these things you're saying, you make it hard. Yes, because it is. And this idea that it's a bed of roses, it isn't. You need to know that if you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower of Jesus, that means you have to be intentional. That means there's things to overcome. And persecution is one of them. There's going to come a time in your life where because somebody knows you're a Christian, they're going to make fun of you. That probably happens. You've probably experienced that. You may lose a job because of it. You may lose a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a promotion because of it. You may lose a relationship because of it. You may lose a friend or a group of friends because of it. And you'll pay the price for it and you'll wonder why. Because it is a certainty that at some point in your life you're going to face it. If you haven't faced any persecution, it's probably because nobody knows you're a Christian. Just saying. If you read the Bible, you read the book of Acts, you're going to see it happens to people over and over and over again. In fact, Paul told Timothy, we looked at it last week, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ is going to be persecuted. So at some point or another, you are going to face it. This church in Smyrna faced it. And look what Jesus says to them, uh, uh, to him who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. This is graphic language, right? The second death, if you surf through the book of Revelation, uh, this is a reference that repeats itself in the book. It's talking about hell. Uh, it uses the term lake of fire, uh, referring to this second death uh, description, vivid description in the book of Revelation. So the people who heard this, who were being persecuted, they would have been so encouraged by this because they would have known and understood that even if they lost their very lives, their eternity was secure. And this was what they hoped for. This was what they longed for because some of them, in fact, many of them, did lose their lives in that time in history uh, because of their faith. The church in Philadelphia... Uh, and we'll, we'll end with this today, uh, chapter 3 um, and verses 11 and 12. Uh, this is another church that's experiencing persecution, another church that Jesus has no criticisms for, only encouragement here. And in verses 11 and 12, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown." He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down uh, out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. What's all that mean? Well, back in that time, uh, the temple, the, the place where the people worshipped was like the most important place in the world. And this book is written likely just before that place is destroyed. It's the temple in Jerusalem, and there's no reference in the entire book of Revelation 
to the destruction of that temple, which took place in the year 70. So those who will overcome that persecution that this church in Philadelphia uh, was facing, never again will they leave the temple of my God. The idea being they will be in constant communion, constant unbroken worship and fellowship with God. That's what they would have understood by this. And the same is true today when you can overcome persecution. And when you can say, well, you know, I counted the cost when I decided to become a Christian. There was a price that I had to pay and I counted that cost. But you will find that your fellowship with God, your communion with God, your worship of God is is intensified when you go through a period of persecution. You'll either come out on the other side bitter or you'll come out on the other side better. But if you come out on the other side better, you'll find that, wow, the, the, my relationship with God is freeing and the worship of God is so uh, uh, passionate. It's like, it's like I can communicate with God and it, he feels so much more real to me because I have passed through this period of persecution. Uh, in my own personal uh, life, I've, I've been through that to a degree, coming from a, a Jewish background, you know, and you get all kinds of different, different reactions from different, you know, various kinds of family or extended family. I have uh, extended family in Jerusalem. Uh, who are very orthodox and you know my views and my beliefs run completely counter and suffice to say the relationship changed when it became known uh, that I was now a Christ follower so I know what that feels like when wow your relationships with people change just because of what you believe yes that can happen but when you overcome these things persecution false teaching, immorality, apathy, bad priorities. When you overcome these things, there's a tremendous blessing that comes into your life. Uh, so in this season where we're dealing with a pandemic, you know, it's kind of symbolic of the reality that, hey, you want to serve Jesus. Nobody said that it was going to be easy. Nobody said that it was going to be a bed of roses, but when you persevere and when you overcome, God has so much for you, okay? So if, uh, if the band, if you guys are available, if you can come, I'm not sure if you can, but even if just Sean, you can come. I know, uh, Simon, you're, you're a little bit busy, but even if Sean, you can come and you can play a little bit on your, on your, your wonderful guitar there, I will try and unmute you. Or maybe uh, Vienna, okay, I'll try and unmute you here. There, you're unmuted. And I wonder if you guys, um, if you're available, you can play a little bit, just something in the background. And I want to pray um, just for everybody who's here. And I, I wonder today, I, and even with, with this uh, first time we've been back, and you know, back in the movie theater, and you know, you've got your masks on, and it feels so weird, and... You know, the people online who are watching, man, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, but I wonder today, in this kind of strange message and atmosphere, if there even would be one person 
in this audience and you have not heard the Christian message explained in this way as being something difficult rather than something that is easy. And you look at this list, you know, priority, apathy, immorality, bad teaching, and persecution. You look at this list and you say, there's one of those things that I'm dealing with right now. You, the, your message uh, has hit right, that, that one area has hit me right where I am right now. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. Maybe your priorities are out of whack and you realize, I've got to do some shifting. Maybe you've seen in your own household, because of the closeness in the relationships, you've seen some things in your whole, your whole understanding of Christianity, your whole setup of your family and all that. Say, wow, I have to change some things here. Maybe there are some people here, and you're dealing head on with something as difficult to mention as immorality maybe you're dealing with persecution and you're facing the heat for your faith uh, but whatever it is i just want to pray for you uh, before we finish and before we end the stream uh, today so i'm not going to ask for a show of hands I, I don't want to embarrass anybody but i have a feeling that there's at least one person here and you're saying oh that's me pastor there's at least one person who's watching at least one person who's listening you're saying that's me pastor so i wonder if you would join me in a word of prayer if you want to put your hands up as a as a kind of symbol of surrender i'm going to do that you don't have to but it just helps me a little bit god i just come before you and and i and i ask that you would you would refresh and you would renew Lord, my walk with you. And I pray on behalf of my friends who are gathered here today and those who are watching online, those who are, who are listening, those who will, who will watch or listen to a recording. And God, we just, we just want to surrender to you in a new way. I pray for those who, God, they wouldn't even say that they're a Christian. They're still thinking about it, still trying to understand what it is. Lord, that ultimately we would come to that place where we just say, God, my life is yours. And I just give you my life and I just surrender myself to you. And Lord, I pray, should there be anyone who's dealing with any of those five areas, some of them, it's more than one at the same time. Oh God, would you, would you enable people by your grace and by your spirit to overcome? And Lord, that we would be a people who have pushed through the obstacles and have persevered because we want you first in our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray for the group of people who meet on Wednesday nights in our online Alpha course, that they too would come to a new place, a new understanding of who God is, who Jesus is in their lives. Lord, we are so thankful, so grateful that you speak to us even through the ages, through this old and strange book of Revelation. And uh, we are so grateful, so thankful, Lord, for your work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you today, and thank you so much. Those of you who have been joining in online, God bless you as well, and look forward to being with you again. We'll be online next week, streaming from our Bible College Live, 
at 10.15 a.m. God bless you. You can end the stream now. No need to rush out at the end. I'd love to visit with you. Keep your masks on. The little possessed soap thing probably works. If you wave your hand under it a little bit, it'll work. But I'd love to visit with each of you before you go. God bless you today. <laughs>